Okay, we're in lesson nine, part two. I want to talk to you guys about something this morning before we even get into the, the lesson. I want to tell you about something. We don't have the same channels on our TV that we used to have. Kathy and I don't. Somehow or another, we're changing systems around or something, and we lost a couple of channels. But I used to watch this channel that um, one of the, the programs that I liked on this channel was a guy out in Las Vegas that, that would restore cars. He went around and he'd buy old cars, or people would bring him cars, and he'd restore them. It was a phenomenal kind of a show to watch. And then finally, they kicked over to a friend of his that would restore all kinds of antiques. And people would bring him stuff that was just dilapidated, and, uh, and he made them look like new. One of the things that I remember somebody brought him was a little motor scooter that came out when motor scooters were like brand new, brand new thing, and they brought him this old rusty motor scooter and he fixed that. Well, I was thinking the other day about a, a show that he did. One of the things that he did was that uh, a lot of people would bring him old gas pumps and he would restore them. And it kind of got to be a passion of his. And one of the shows was devoted to the fact that he had heard about somebody had this uh, old gas pump and it was the kind that he wanted. It was like this one, one with the glass top on it. And it just so happens that I happen to have one of these. I've got a little collection of cars and trucks and stuff. <clears throat> so he went and looked at this thing and on the show when it showed the glass was broke, all of this was rusty, it was coming apart. Truthfully, it belonged in the junkyard. It was just awful. And this guy's looking at this thing like it was a piece of candy, and he wanted that, and the guy that owned it was wanting a real pretty penny for this thing, and this guy bought it, and I thought, I can't believe you're paying that much money. I forget what it was, six or seven or eight hundred dollars for a piece of rusty junk. He bought this thing. I thought, okay. So then it showed him. He talked about it and stuff and worked on it. And one of the things, that the glass, he could never find the glass. He searched all over the country for glass to go on the top of this thing. He finally had to go to a glassmaker, I guess, one kind of like what we've got here in Stanton. And he, he got a guy to make this thing. And it had to be just so because it had to fit down in here and up here. And it had to be just exactly perfect to match this thing. He was just in love with this project. He just, money meant nothing. He just poured into it whatever he had to pour into it. And when he was finished, he had this thing look like brand spanking new. It was beautiful. So I thought about that in conjunction with what we're gonna talk about here this morning. It just so impressed me that Somebody could love something so much that they could do all of that with it. And one of the things I'll point out for you is that it was absolutely, in my opinion, when he went and got this thing, it was absolutely worthless. I didn't see what he saw. He, he saw what it could be. It was a piece of junk. And he spent a fortune for it and a fortune again doing what he did with it. Think about it. 
does God do with us? You know, when the, I, I, I don't even know why this came to mind the other day. I was reading and studying, and I'm thinking about justification, and I'm thinking about this morning's class, and, and I remembered, I remembered that show where that guy refinished that old gas pump. And I thought about the fact that in the show, his heart showed. You know, you could just tell that this guy had a passion for this. And I don't know where I made the connection, and I will say this, it may be a very poor analogy. Maybe there's something a lot better and stronger that I could come up with to use to show that an analogy between a project and what God sees in us. But it just came to me that God sees us that way. He spent a fortune. I mean, he gave his only begotten time. How much more can you spend? For what truthfully, I can only speak for myself. I won't speak for you lovely people. It was a worthless piece of junk. Absolutely worthless, rusted out, no good piece of junk. And God spent that much money to save it and goes through all of these years with each one of us restoration he's working on us he's he's replacing the broken parts hearts mostly and the word justification the thing that came to me about this was that this guy felt justified in spending what he spent. He felt justified in the time that he put into this. He felt justified in doing all that he did to restore and cut and pick an old gas pump. And you think about what God's done for us. He, he felt justified, obviously so. I can't find scripture exactly of that nature, and yet the Bible's full of it. But obviously, God felt justified in giving his son so that we might be restored to a right relationship with him. Isn't that cool? So I just wanted to start with that. Uh, May Beasley, do you mind doing some reading this morning? Sure. All right. The, uh, the little part up there says justification. Uh, would, you, would you read that, just that whole little section there, justification? Ideally, the complete fulfillment of the law of God would provide a basis for justification in his sight, Romans 2.13. But no such case has occurred in mere human experience, and therefore no one can be justified on this ground. Um, from this negative presentation in Romans 3, the Apostle Paul proceeds to show that God is, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Justification, then, is the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge. The believing sinner is justified, that is, treated as righteous because Christ, who knew no sin, bore his sins on the cross, being made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The justified believer that has been declared by the judge himself to have nothing laid to his charge, he is justified. Praise God. Thank you. And I want to let the Bible do some speaking for itself this morning. We're going to read some. 
Uh, turn to Romans chapter 3. Uh, I will tell you this, and <laughs> you, the guys at jail really relate to that sentence that says, justification then is the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge. And that's in reality what we have here. We, we, we went to trial, so to speak, and, uh, and guilty, yet God says that we're innocent. This thing called double, double imputation, you'll probably hear me speak of it often. <clears throat> I'll get into it further in a minute, but, but let's read right now. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 19, and I'm going to read through to chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Um, just grasp that. I, I, I invite you to linger there a little while and, and realize that by the law, by the works and deeds that we could and even really should do, we all are still guilty. We, we haven't kept the whole law, so therefore we're guilty of breaking the whole law. Verse 21, here's where it really gets good. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think a word therefore should be there. Therefore, being justified freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. I want to pause again. I'm having trouble keeping my Bible up here this morning. Um, Any of you real familiar with that word propitiation? Well, I'm going to ask you another way. Are all of you a little confused about the word? Do you not really know what this word is? Uh, a lot of people have, have called it appeasement. Comes close. Um, that, that the sacrifice would, of Jesus would appease uh, the righteousness of God, it leaves a lot to be desired. Appease is not the real correct definition of the word propitiation. The words translated propitiation is often found in, in, in the old Hebrew talking about the mercy seat. Propitiation come through 
the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. And if you really get into a study of propitiation, the word propitiation, and I don't have time to get into all that, it's a whole study by itself. You could spend a week there. But when you get into all of the commentaries and you really look at, at the depth of the word, the word really does mean mercy seat in the original Hebrew. So if Jesus has become our propitiation, someone described it like this. It's as if Jesus got on his hands and knees and uses his back as a place to sit for God the Father to sit on his back on the mercy seat, which is Jesus Christ. Let me read this verse again with that in mind. <clears throat> verse 25. Verse 24, it ended with the words, Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Jesus is our mercy seat. Oh, um, that's a lot to try to grasp. And of course it isn't trying to say that literally. But yet the, the spiritual implication is there that Jesus Christ himself becomes the propitiation. He is then in fact the mercy seat as if God the Father would actually sit on him. Verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And I'm going to skip over that last little part that I was talking about the Jews. Go to, go to chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> what then what shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, pause there a second. And the word accounted there is just exactly that. It's, a, it's an accountant's term as if we were looking at a ledger book. And there's a column here. And, and righteousness was put on Abraham's account book, checked off by God. He was counted, accounted to him, put in his ledger book, accounted to him as righteousness because of what? Because he believed God. That's the only thing that God was after here. He's looking for somebody that would believe him. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. <clears throat> now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work, 
but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes, blessed is the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now I want to pause there again. I want to talk to you about that word imputes. Let, let me read that, that verse 6 again. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Imputes, it's got the word put in it. It puts something over on us. It, as God did with Abraham, he put righteousness on his account. It was imputed to him. When Jesus went to the cross, what happened with our sins, brothers and sisters? They were forgiven. Yeah, they were forgiven, but because God imputed all of our sin onto Christ. It's called double imputation. God imputed to Christ on that cross your sin and my sin and all of the sin of the whole world from Adam and Eve clear through to the end of eternity, God put it all on Jesus. Jesus. And what was Jesus? Pure and holy and righteous. Righteous. The only righteous human being that's ever lived and God takes his righteousness and imputes it to us. The righteousness of God okay, imputed to us who believe. And that's, again, going back to Abraham. Yeah, what do you believe? What do you believe? So <clears throat> the whole thing here is to consider whether that's just. Or is that, has justice been met? Is God just? In declaring you and I righteous? Yes. The answer is yes. Why? Hi, good morning. Not because of anything we have done, right? That's what all the scripture we just read said. Not because of anything we have done. Because if we had done anything to which God could impute to us righteousness, then it would be wages. He would owe it to us. The fact is, we haven't earned it. That, then comes in the word grace. It's all my grace. It's imputed to us. God is just in doing so. Just, not just because he says it, but because Jesus did it. It had to be. There had to be that propitiation. There had to be that payment made in order for God to be just in justifying us. This is a big deal. This is the crux of the whole Christian faith. It lies right there in that little paragraph that I call justification in the court. The whole thing depends on us knowing from our full heart that this was put to us, put on our account 
not because of anything we have earned, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And what that then does is that, can I use the word motivates, changes, changes our whole outlook, changes everything we think, changes us into a person of gratitude. What, what the only thing that we have is the fact that Jesus paid the price. That's where Christianity lies. The whole thing lies here in the fact that it didn't, he didn't just give it to us because he decided to. Jesus paid the price for it so that God now is just, as a just attorney or a just judge, we've been acquitted because of what Jesus did. Paid our price. There's a story about a, a judge who had a young lady uh, before him, and I'm pretty sure that it was some kind of a pretty serious traffic offense and, and hadn't paid her fines. So she's before the judge. The judge heard all of the evidence that was against this young lady because of what she had done, and he pronounced her guilty and imposed a pretty heavy fine. Then he got up from his chair and took off his robe and went to the bailiff and paid her fine. She was his daughter. But he was just, was he not a just judge? He pronounced her guilty. She was guilty. But because he loved her, he paid her price. I think it's a pretty good analogy. Pretty good. All right, let's move on to sanctification holiness. This is... This is a whole big ball game for us, brothers. Anybody got anything to say about this justification thing? I hope not. But if you do, boy, don't let it lie. Make sure you have answers to any question you have regarding your justification. Yeah. Praise God. I think it's time to praise God. Let's just pause for a minute. God, I thank you. We all thank you. God, we know. There's not a person in this room, Lord God, that doesn't know what you did. God, we're thankful. God, every breath we take, every step we take, be mindful of what you have done in declaring us just. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Sanctification. Um, You'll recall that one time us there on the blackboard, I put these uh, two, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew words up there that gets, gets translated into sanctification, justification, and um, consecration, and pretty much always the same words, and they all mean basically the same thing, and that is to take something and set it apart. One one way of looking at it, and it's a pretty accurate too, one of the words that's used really has to do with cutting. And, and the idea is to take, take a good part and cut it away and set it apart from the rest of it. Taking, taking something and setting it apart for God. The first examples, and we went through that the last time we met, uh, <clears throat> are with the Levitical priesthood when God through Moses and Aaron was setting up the priesthood and then all of these things, including Aaron and, and his 
children being set apart for the priesthood. Remember that? It's all set apart. It was called sanctified, consecrated, holy, uh, declared to be holy because it was set apart. The table of the showbreads is a good example. It's just a table made of acacia wood. Just a table. But it's declared to be holy because it's set apart for God. And nothing else is not supposed to be used for anything else. It's set apart for God. It's called holy. <clears throat> Let me read for a minute. Then, starting there at sanctification in that second paragraph. Sanctification is the setting apart from sin unto God. Like the cutting off we were talking about a while ago. The word cutting away. Uh, the setting apart from sin... And unto God, the result is a life of holiness. It is the perfecting of holiness, bringing to maturity in the life of the believer who desires to yield his life to God, to be cleansed and to be set apart unto God. Here's an important sentence. Sanctification is his way of conforming our character and conduct to the image of Christ. When one is justified, he is declared righteous by God. As said before, justification is something God does for you. I don't think any of us ought to have any question about that. We didn't have any part in that, did we? We didn't have any part in this thing about being justified. God did it for us fully. But sanctification is something God does in you. Justification puts you in right relationship to God, and sanctification manifests the fruit of that relationship. The fruit or the result is shown by separation from evil along with a dedication to God. I might as well preach to you the same way I do it to guys in jail. We're all human beings. Somebody has well said the biggest difference between a, us out here and them in there is that most of us out here ain't got caught yet. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the thing. Which way do you want your life to go? I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir because I know that every person in this room has, has dedicated your life to God. I'm assuming that to be true. The question is, though, is it easy? No. Uh, and I just happened to glance over and see this young one. God bless your little heart. I am so glad you're in here. But I look at you and I thank you. You know, you've got a, you've got a, I hope you have a wonderful, loving life. But make no mistake, you're going to come up against bumps and hard places. There's life on this planet because of what Adam and Eve did, because sin, sin entered the world. It's a hard life, it's a hard place. Maddie, you'll turn to God a million times in your years, but understand that he loves you to pieces and he wants to help you through the hard life and it's the way it is for all of us. And, and see, in, in jail, I'm really talking to guys that have obviously gone a wrong way. They've made a wrong turn. They've made a wrong decision, maybe a bunch of them, and they've wound up 
removed from society. You realize that to be incarcerated is saying to a person, you're no longer fit to live among us. And we'll lock you up. Lock you away from the rest of society. So I'm, I'm saying to those guys, do you want to do this again? You want, you want to have the doors open for you and you go out and you're going to come back? It's called recidivism. Uh, they do it all the time. All the time. In the three years, that, almost four now, over three years that I've been going into Middle River Regional Jail, I know for sure of three men that have been through my class and heard all of this and my preaching and teaching and begging in my heart with them, and they're back in jail. Back in jail. Why? Because while they wanted to receive this righteousness that God imputes to them, they don't want to do this other thing that's called dedicate my life to God. Be separated from the rest of the world. Cut away from the evil. Cut away from the lifestyle that isn't correct. And be put over here and declared righteous and yes, holy. Because the word sanctification really means holiness. What are we being conformed to, Mr. Lance? It's conforming us to what? Um, the image <laughs> of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's wanting us to look like Jesus. And, and not in physical looks, but certainly in, in, our, in our character. So he, he sets us apart to conform us. And, and I remind you here about this silly thing. This guy taking a piece of rusty junk and turning it into something good. And, and that's what God is doing to us. Only there's a problem, and that is that God cannot work out sanctification in you if you are not willing to allow him to. This thing didn't, wasn't able to kick back at the guy that was... But we can, we still have this thing called choice. We're still volitional human beings. God will not remove from us our right to have a choice. That's part of being who he made us to be when he made us in his image to start with, that we're made in the image of God that we can have a choice. So in order for God to work out in our life, holiness, that's where he wants us to be. And he's declared us, get this, he's declared pretty young Madison and May and Jeff and me and all of us, he has, he has declared us to be holy. He set us apart, like the table for the showbread or the lampstand or any of those other things, set us apart and declared that we're holy. But now he's in the process of wanting to make you holy. This thing called sanctification is something that God does in you, and it's happening every day. I think it'd be real good for us to try to grasp that idea. Is there's not a day, maybe even not a minute in our life, that God is not working 
in the area of sanctification, not working toward making us whole. It's going on all the time, wanting us to be more and more holy. I have a question. Yes, dear. Okay, I have a question because, all right, let's say you're born again, believer, and you mess up, you know, like you commit another sin, or, you know, you you just fall off the wagon, basically. You know, you, you go back to something that, that you shouldn't have done before, or you get caught up in the middle of something. You know, that's life. Um, my question is, do you lose your sanctification? Because we certainly feel like we do. And then how do you step back out of that, back into what God wants you to do? You know, like get back on the path, like, okay, I messed up, um, and, you know, you confess your sin. I don't, I don't know how to... I, you're doing a good job. Okay. I understand exactly where you're going. Well, you know, because we all deal with that, and especially, I know the prisoners, like they, like you said, re repeatedly, they usually repeatedly do that before they end up in jail. But, I mean, I'm asking for us, too. Because... Okay, no, let, let me answer your question. Vital. Uh, vital to answer the question. I mean, we, we all need to approach it because we all go through this. Right, and you cert most certainly wouldn't feel sanctified if you mess up. It doesn't matter what okay. you do. Have you seen my little train that I draw on the blackboard? Yes. Okay, what are those three engine things? Say? What we call the engine? Uh, I can't remember. Cool. Okay. <laughs> all, right. Let, all right. Let me let me let me just set for him. I'm going to try to draw it again. Okay. But we represent the engine of this train as what we call. Uh, <laughs> the, no, the cold car is the facts. Oh. Uh, no, that's the fact. The facts. The engine is the facts. Thank you. The engine is the facts. What are the facts? Uh, first of all, Roxanne, the fact is that you were saved because of when you missed the first part of the class that we were talking about here, is that, that sanctification, I mean justification is, let me change the word, righteousness. We are declared to be righteousness because Jesus paid the price so that now we have the righteousness of God imputed to us. All right? That's a fact. We have this thing called faith. You believe that? Yes. Yeah, you believe that? Okay. All right. <laughs> Same kind of ritual for all of us. But along comes Satan never taken a day off he's not going to he comes to stir the pot he tries to and he makes you misbehave but none even if he doesn't make you misbehave he stirs the pot to the point that your faith is now tainted oh i believe that jesus paid for my sin but maybe not all of them maybe he didn't pay for this one because this is after the fact and so uh, so your faith is tainted. So what we have to do? You get your faith back on the facts. The fact is that you've been saved by grace through faith. That's just the key. Through faith, through believing it. All right? That's the whole deal. And you mentioned several times the word feeling. You don't feel like it. Well, that's where, especially like among young people, they want to feel something. Well, that's a horrible mistake. <laughs> I know. 
But and that's why I want to get. And I can't deal with them right now. I'm dealing with you. Right. I'm, I'm with the class. But if we turn around and take the coal from the coal car, and instead of putting it in the engine, put it in the caboose, that train ain't going nowhere, is it? What is the caboose? Feelings. You're talking about putting your faith in how you feel. You're talking about putting the coal in the caboose. You can't put your faith in your feelings. Feelings are fickle. They change every day, every few minutes, in fact. Uh, we can't, we just simply can't go by our feelings. Feelings have a place and they have a part. But let me tell you where it really works is when your faith is in the facts. When your faith is in the fact that Jesus Christ didn't pay no little sacrifice, it wasn't quite enough, nah. It was enough to cover the sins of the whole world, thoroughly including Roxanne Williams. Absolutely including Roxanne Williams to the point that no matter how bad you think you are, God has declared you to be holy and he's working to conform you holy. And guess what? Every time that you bump up against this thing where you're going, uh, do you know that that's right there is where God's working? Mm -hmm. He's working to conform you. He's got a little thing called conscience. He speaks to you in there. And he says to you, this is probably not quite right, Roxanne. So we know. We know. So the, the thing is, is that we, you and if you're ministering to people out there. Right, that's no reason I'm asking because well, I have I understand. That, I know that you are. You've got people coming to you. <laughs> well, oh, and, and most of us do, don't we? What we have to do is even if you bring a tear to a pretty young face, even if that occurs, you tell them, get your faith in the facts. Put your faith in the facts. Put your faith in the facts and let your feelings take the ride. They'll come along eventually. Yeah. I went through the, boy, did I go through some stuff. <laughs> they didn't put me in prison for playing tiddlywinks. <laughs> so I went through years, years of having trouble accepting forgiveness completely because I couldn't forgive myself. I just couldn't. Yeah. And let me tell you this. God didn't really, we use strange use of words here. God didn't really forgive the sin. He forgave me for committing the sin. And that's where I had to make the turn. I finally began to realize that God wasn't condoning anything that I'd done. My God, it was sin. And sin is sin. And it has all kinds of evil ramifications and hurts people and does bad things. But God forgave me. And his forgiveness of me is complete. And if I stumble and fall today, my, my biggest problem in my life today, I got, I got two of them, I'll confess it to the whole class. One of them is if I drop a hammer on my toe, a cuss word's coming out. 
it's just I was born and raised that way. My my dad couldn't speak without cussing. Praise God, I don't use God's name ever anymore in that respect. But but no, my tongue gets in my way. And another thing is, is I have I have this tendency to get out in the morning and get busy and forgot to pray. And I have to stop myself and go and, and get before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I got so busy that I didn't pray first. Um, so that's where, you know, and if what would happen if I allowed Satan to beat me up over that and, and say to me and make me believe that maybe I'm not really a child of God because I don't pray every day like I ought to. God will get me there. And I can tell you this, one little trip worked real good in straightening out my tongue. Kathy put a jar in our kitchen. It's been a few years ago. She said, every time you say a bad word, you've got to put a quarter in there. By the time it got up to about $4,000, I quit cussing. <laughs> but Roxanne, and thank you for bringing it up. Clint. Yes, dear. I just want to say that one thing that really works well for me um, to answer that question is when Jesus died for us, he forgave our sins past, present, yes. and future. Uh, so in other words, he already knew that we were going to sin over and over and over, but he forgave that. Anything that, like you said, from Adam and Eve on, there'll be generations after us. Absolutely. And he's already forgiven them, and they're not even born yet. That's so. true, too. That's true, too. Yeah, it all depends, comes back to that beautiful word, grace. Mm -hmm. It's all by the grace of God. And the truth is, none of us deserve it. So if you, if you commit a sin, you just... What should you do? Just confess. First thing I'm saying to you is don't. Don't do it. Don't I, do it. I understand that. Hey, God, well, I, let me tell you, God's not ever going to quit speaking to you in your conscience. Right. When you're faced with whether you will or whether you won't, God's going to be in there saying don't. Call it obey God and right. don't. But if you do. I'm just saying, I said okay. fall off the wagon like yeah. God says don't do that and you're like, oh, it'll be all right. Many people do. I understand that. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you know, what, some pointing out the facts. The right. facts are what we're... But when it occurs, then, then God's word's pretty clear. If you confess your sins before God, he is just and righteous to forgive you your sins. But forgiveness needs to include a turning point. See, there, it needs to be and include, God, I don't want to do that anymore. God help me not to do that anymore. It gets God, harder and harder. Huh? It gets harder and harder. But, what, but one do. of the things is, is that the, the flip side of the getting harder and harder is that it also gets harder and harder then to do it. Yes. That's because, right. because after a while, you've moved away from mm -hmm. that. Right. God, he's in the process of this thing we're talking about calling sanctification. He's growing and, you and up. It's, it's something that God is doing in you all of the time. All right, it's it's vitally important. Matter of fact, let's turn the page and we'll. Sorry, we'll, we'll, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're you're good, girl. Don't think that way. I, I um, see one of the things about having this thing all written out is everybody gets 
Everybody has an opportunity to read the whole lesson. We don't have to talk about every bit of it. In this lesson nine, part two, page two, it's got these three things here. Positional, experiential, and consummate. Let's talk about that a little bit. <clears throat> Positional, the instantaneous aspect. The one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has appropriated him, Jesus, as the one sacrifice for sins. As thus associated with his sacrifice, the believer has been redeemed. Has been. Point, I'll point back to this thing here a while ago. You, you missed me talking about this guy that, rest, that restored one. What did the man do when he went to the junkyard and saw this and bought it for an unbelievable amount of money? He redeemed it. It was dedicated to the junk pile, and he redeemed it from the junk pile. Can you take that personally? Yeah. We were junk. God redeemed us from the junk pile. See, it, the believer has been redeemed, not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, he was instantly set apart for God. He is a saint, a holy brother, and sanctified through the offering of the, bloody, the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that's Hebrews, and that's one of the things I was going to do. I was going to read a bunch of Hebrews here. But, but you know, it's good. We'll, we'll get, we got almost 10 minutes left here. We'll go ahead and get through this. But first of all, I want, you, I want all of us to understand our position. We went through this and, and back in Lesson 6, that we, when we talked about our standing and our state, you remember that? Yeah. Our standing before God is perfect. We stand before God hidden in a veil of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Our standing before God is perfect, paid for by Jesus Christ. Perfect. You and I have the, have the ability to come right in past what used to be the veil that prevented us from coming into the throne of grace to be able to come right into the mercy seat, right into the throne of grace. Our standing before God is perfect. Understand this, we go back to the thing about light and dark. If we were still dark, we couldn't approach the light, could we? The light would dispel you. Understand that we could not get close to God if our standing with God was not perfect. It is perfect because of what Jesus Christ did. Our standing before God is perfect. That word up there, positional, that's our position. We're declared holy by God himself so that our position is declared to be holy. But the experiential part, and this is, this is what Roxanne's talking about, the progressive aspect. This part of sanctification takes place during the life of the believer. It must be remembered that sanctification is only started in the new birth experience. A saint he may be, but in the beginning certainly he is most unsaintly in himself. He still has the flesh, and too often obeys it, just exactly like you were talking, in the lust thereof. Accordingly, the risen Christ, 
by the Holy Spirit through the Word and if need be through chastisement begins dealing the object of which is to bring this saint into true saintliness, this holy brother or sister into true holiness. And it gives these passages that I invite you to look up and read. But that's the whole thing. See, it's have, this is the experience of living our life. The experiential part is, is, that, is that we... We experience God bringing us, bringing us, bringing us holier and holier and holier if we allow him to. If we, and see, honey, I, let, me say, let me say you some good news. Evidently, the one of the things that I see in your heart, because we've kind of had some of this conversation, you're wanting God to lead you. You're yielded to that. Guess what? He's doing it. <laughs> he, he's doing it. God's working in your life the same as he's working in every one of us. He's working our life day by day. That's the experience that we have on this planet, the experience called life. Now that we're a born-again believer, the experience is that God is sanctifying us. An ongoing act. But let's get to the end. Number C, consummate or complete. The full aspect. That work of God which first sets apart the believer for himself, meaning God, instantly upon the exercise of faith, and then which works inwardly in the believer's heart and life, separating his affections and will from all unholy things, has its glorious consummation in the believer's perfect confirmation to the image of Christ, even as Christ is the express image of deity and the other's life. <clears throat> there's some important words there let me go back over it again I didn't want to stop but I, I needed to the work of God which first sets apart the believer instantly upon the exercise of faith and then which inwardly the believer's heart and life God begins to separate his affections and will from unholy things let's just pause right there for a minute <clears throat> separating our affections. Okay. Uh, there, there was a time in my life before I went to prison that I certainly had an affection for pot. I did. I'd gotten hooked on pot in the early 70s and that's where most of my paycheck began to go. I was buying pot. I was addicted to the stuff. You know, I had my affection was I had to have my pot first. Everything else came second. Pretty horrible way to live. Destroys lives. Does a lot of damage. Instead of spending time and money on kids, I was spending time and money on pot. Affection. God went to work right away to separate that affection. Got me locked up. Couldn't do it anymore. I can share with you guys this. I shared in here about a morning on a sidewalk in prison when I, when I felt so full of joy that I was walking in light. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was so happy that it was just indescribable. I just felt the presence of God and I was so happy 
that Jesse Bass Knight had come. I was so happy about the circumstances in my life I was in prison. Right about that same spot, about two years later, I mean, on that sidewalk out there in front of those dorms in this prison, I was walking along out there one day, and I thought to myself, you know, I think they could release me from prison now, and I wouldn't go straight to the first pot dealer I could find. Two years, over two years. It took me that long to come to the place where I felt like that I was no, my affection was no longer for pot. I wouldn't go there. And I really believed that it, even with all of this wonderful experience that I'd had with God and forgiveness, if that had let me out of prison before that point in time, I think I'd have been right back to wherever I could have to have bought some marijuana. Took two years. It's a long time. But see, here's, and the reason I point that out is I don't want us to overlook this little word. Separating us from our affections and will. Let's get a hold of that one again, too. Yeah. Because... <laughs> To get over that affection, I had to want to. Understand that? It's your will. Listen, in the same way that God will not, and it has to do with choice, in the way that God will not remove from your, your right to choose, he will not remove from you your right to exercise your will. It's the same thing, really. You do what you do because you will to. We're free. That's one of the things that's most important in this thing called the Christian life is we're free. We're free from the law. We're free to do whatever we want. Should we? That's the question. Where do we want our life to go? Do we want to exercise that will to go back to the old way of life? Do we want to exercise that will to do things that we know is not right? Do we want to exercise that will to, pardon my term, spit in the face of God? Is that what we want to do? You still have that choice. But we turn our will. And God, by gentleness and kindness and lovingness, works on our will so that what we will to do, this is our will, our desire, is to be set apart for God. I ain't doing that anymore. I'm leaving that. Is it easy? Nobody said it's easy. Is it possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is where the scriptures that talk about the, the God who strengthens me for what? To be mighty muscle man? No, not really. The one who gives you the strength to walk in newness of life and say, no, I ain't going there anymore. To that old way of life, whatever it was. And it's different things for different people. 